everyone. I'm Vivian Ho, host of Paris Healthcare Playbook Podcast. At Pair, we partner with founders from Idea to Series A, and we're excited to share stories from trailblazing healthcare founders and leaders on how they built a digital health business from zero to one. We're super excited to have Elizabeth Burstein, CEO and co-founder of Neuro Health here today. Founded in 2020, Neuro Health is a virtual neurology clinic with a mission to improve the access and quality of neurological care, increase convenience, improve outcomes, and lower costs. NeuroHealth's platform connects patients to neurologists with an inbuilt neurology-specific symptom monitoring and condition-specific diagnostic tests. The company's first app focus is on chronic headache and migraine. Prior to founding NeuroHealth, Liz was the head of product at Maven Clinic and director of product at ZocDoc. NeuroHealth recently also announced that they raised a 2.2 million seed round with Pair VC, Norwest Venture Partners, Global Founders Capital, Index Ventures, and Nextplay Ventures. And with that, I'd like to thank Liz for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share more about Nura's founding story. Okay, um, to start, I'd love for you to walk us through your career, your personal experiences, and how you founded Nura Health. Yeah, so over the past decade, I have focused my career on building products for mission-driven companies. I was an early product manager at LinkedIn and went on to lead product teams at Blue Apron, ZocDoc, and most recently, the Maven Clinic. I founded Neura based on my own personal patient journey with chronic pain, which happened uh, right at the start of the pandemic. I've suffered from what's called a peripheral neuropathy. And I was shocked kind of going through that patient journey, how difficult it was to get an appointment with a board certified neurologist, even in New York City, where we have one of the best supplies of specialists and doctors. I was also really shocked by the fact that my primary care doctor wasn't able to help me despite being a really wonderful, highly credentialed doctor. And the last part of that journey that was really shocking to me was the fact that I was collecting so much data in a diligent pain diary, but there was no way to regularly engage with my pain doctor nor my neurologist on this data. So I had a vision to try to build a 10x better patient experience for the many Americans suffering from chronic pain And that really got me inspired to look at not only chronic pain, but the surrounding area of neurology. There are over 160 million Americans suffering from a neurological condition. And given the loftiness of this vision and the complexities of building a tech-enabled healthcare service, I decided to partner with my co-founder, Samir Madan. Uh, We were classmates together back at Stanford in 2009 in the computer science program. Both of us had uh, personal pain journeys and saw so many opportunities to make a massive dent in improving our healthcare system. So we got together in October of 2020 to um, incorporate Neura and start to work towards our vision. Awesome. And uh, kind of talking about going backwards, like when did you decide to leave Maven Clinic? Was it like your desire to... Was it driven out of a desire to start a company or what was going through your head at that point? Yeah. So when I started to experience this chronic pain journey, there was so much opportunity that I saw to build a better patient experience. Um, One of the great aspects of my experience at Maven was I saw how impactful virtual apps and virtual clinics can be on making a serious improvement and towards better conditions. So at Maven, our app was really focused on decreasing the likelihood of adverse conditions like postpartum depression, gestational diabetes, and many others. 
And while I was there, you know, I think that product did an amazing job of driving outcomes in those areas, uh, but nothing was being built for the areas within neurology. Um, so given that, and also a lot of the tailwinds um, that happened during the pandemic around patient adoption of telehealth, provider adoption of telehealth, and of course, insurance reimbursement of telehealth, um, it just felt like the perfect time to start a business dedicated towards improving outcomes in the neurological health domain. Awesome. And then when you were thinking of co-founders, you guys went to school together. Was he working somewhere else at that point? How did you reach out to him or how did like the idea of coming to work with him? Like obviously you went to school together, but he's probably not sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah. So Samir had spent the last about decade at Facebook and he'd also built so many amazing products that he was so proud of, um, served user needs at massive scale. Um, but both of us had these personal pain journeys. He had a chronic um, disectomy um, when he was in his early 20s. He ended up flying back to India to get his MRI. And the whole entire experience, the flight included, was cheaper than going to Stanford Healthcare. So we were grabbing drinks in the middle of the pandemic and talking about our next um, play. And just bonded over how um, how terrible our patient experiences were and how much better they could be by uh, building something new. Awesome. I guess kind of moving towards when you decided to incorporate, I'm curious to hear what kind of drove you to take the leap of faith, um, thinking about different people in the audience who are thinking about starting companies. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think there's ever a perfect time in your career to start a business. Um, for me, it was the marriage of an idea that I'm incredibly excited about um, seeing firsthand the the gap, right? The gap that we're trying to fill. Um, also noticing the tailwinds. Um, I was uh, aficionado of all the different health tech nerds, slacks and newsletters. So I was doing a lot of reading about what was happening in telehealth and those kind of macro trends. So it's kind of the marriage of you know having an idea that I saw no one else was building towards, plus the tailwinds to make the business model possible, and then of course just urgently when you're experiencing something firsthand, you you really see urgently like this needs to be built. Um, so it was kind of those three pieces that made me make the leap. Awesome, and we're so glad you did. <laughs> um, shifting to educating our listeners to NeuroHealth, can you explain NeuroHealth service offerings? And business model to our audience? Yeah, so Dura is a direct-to-consumer uh, virtual neurology clinic. We are currently focused on serving patients with chronic headache and chronic migraine. We serve over 150 different types of chronic headache. And our model is very simple. It's a membership model of $28 a month and $1 for a first-week trial. And the initial visits are $150 and follow-up visits are $75. Those visits are with board-certified neurologists. And then for the membership, it includes unlimited messaging access to a dedicated care team. Every patient is assigned to a care team with at least one board-certified neurologist at the helm, a care coach who's there to help um, really implement lifestyle changes, and a care concierge who's really kind of doing the heavy lifting for all the administrative burden of living with chronic headaches. That's like prior authorizations, getting referrals, helping patients understand their insurance coverage. So that's really the team that's um, providing an unprecedented level of support for patients in their membership. 
The membership also covers a proprietary headache tracker, the ability to get same or next day video visits with a board certified neurologist, as well as personalized content. Um, Content both in terms of educational pieces around living with chronic headache, but also recommended action items for the patient to take um, in their journey towards relief. So the overall vision for this membership is, we talked about earlier, there's this massive gap. So it's really arming these patients with everything they need to um, partner with them in their journey towards relief. And with these, well, I guess with your first condition in chronic headache and migraines, what is the state of treatment today? Is there, there isn't like a drug that you can take or like a one size fits all solution? Yeah, there's many different drugs and um, they all have pros and cons. There's so many effective new migraine medications. And one of the challenges of working with, let's say, a primary care doctor on addressing migraine is they're not always aware of the newest medications on the market. Mm -hmm. And there's a second challenge around deciding which medication is best for a given patient. Um, Unfortunately, none of these medications are a quote-unquote complete cure. Um, There's two classes. There's preventative and acute. So preventative typically help avoid the onset or reduce the um, severity of a headache. And um, acute are more responsive to a headache that's already happening. So a board-certified neurologist can take in a lot of um, complex history and information about a patient and help determine which medication makes most sense for that given individual. Oftentimes, the medication that's first prescribed is not always the best. And so there is a cycle of trial and error to really help determine which medication is ultimately the best for that individual. With a platform like Neuras, we're really short-circuiting that cycle of trial and error, which can be really frustrating if you're waiting multiple months just to get a you know, change in your medication or an adjustment of dosage to help um, reduce side effects. So that's one of the inherent challenges of the entire neurology domain is most of these conditions don't have cures. There is no straightforward path to relief. And so that is why having a tech-enabled high-touch service is, is really needed. Awesome. And uh, in terms of the business model, besides sort of selling to patients, do you also have a like long-term business model selling the, the information that you collect or potential drugs that you could help with in terms of R&D? Yeah. So our short-term mission, and that's really kind of the next three to five years, is all about improving access and quality of care for um, neurological conditions, starting with chronic headache and moving into other neurological conditions like epilepsy, chronic pain, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Our broader vision, so that's really more at the like seven to 10 plus year time horizon, is while we're building this tech-enabled full-stack virtual neuroclinic, we are collecting a data set that has previously been incredibly siloed. So what I mean by that is in the brick and mortar headache clinic or in a hospital, uh, you have some of the treatments data in the electronic health record, but you don't have the outcomes data. The, the clinic or the, nor the hospital has that end-to-end visibility of like, how are my patients doing today? Like, where did they end up? Are their headaches gone? Um, you might just assume they're not coming into the clinics. So they must just be better, which is of course not true. There's so many access barriers and, you know, people change clinics a lot. So um, the missing piece here is the outcomes data as well as the symptoms data, which is kind of what you gather by building a mobile app that's so accessible to patients on their phone and marrying the headache tracker with the service itself. 
So our vision is really to take that symptoms data, treatments data, and outcomes data that's all been siloed in the in the in the status quo system and partner with pharmaceutical companies to help accelerate cures. So you can imagine at a high scale, there's so many fascinating trends that we start to see with regards to like medication A versus medication B. How do they compare in terms of their efficacy versus their side effects for a particular cohort of patient, like women in their 40s, for example, what works best for them may not be the same as what works best for seniors, et cetera. So um, that is really kind of the broader vision for Neuro. Awesome. So exciting. And in terms of the playbook part of healthcare playbook, I like to specifically dive into the how-tos. Um, so I'm going to go into the early days again. So I guess the first question is, how did you stand up your first MVP and product? And also kind of along with that, can you share how you got your first 100 patients? Yeah. So we've acquired our first 100 patients off of Facebook. And the way that we got them on board was we did a lot of user research up front with a high volume uh, group. Um, the screener was, of course, having chronic headache or migraine. And the MVP was a basic tracker, a basic um, using Zoom for um, telehealth visits because it's HIPAA compliant and a basic HIPAA compliant messaging tool called Sunbird. So we did a lot of research on um, a lot of the different vendors um, that are out there for digital health companies to build on top of. Thankfully, we're in a time where you know the digital health space is moving so quickly and growing so quickly. So what, if I were building this back you know, five, 10 years ago, I would have had to build so much more in-house. But you know, nowadays, there's so many companies focusing on different parts of the healthcare stack. So this kind of process of standing up the first MVP was um, very much you know, equally weighted towards vendor diligence, like diligencing all the different tools that are out there in addition to building you know, our own uh, patient-facing app, which is where we decided to focus our development efforts. So you know, by definition, it's a minimum viable product. So really avoiding all the unnecessary bells and whistles. So for us, this was how do we you know, get high-quality neurological care to a patient and see what they would experience by having this really kind of same or next day video visit experience and integrated with the tracker where the doctor can actually see the data that's being collected via the tracker and monitor it asynchronously to make the appointments more efficient. So that was done, uh, tested on those first 500 patients that were acquired through Facebook. And we spent a ton of time talking to these patients about their their patient journeys pre and post neuro. So, you know, what was it? What was a day in the life of living with migraine? Um, you know, for some patients, they were going to a brick and mortar clinic, but they were waiting on a six months wait list to get that next appointment. Another cohort of patients um, were in a rural town and had literally never met with a neurologist. And some of them, in fact, didn't even know that they had the, the formal diagnosis of migraine. They just knew they had a lot of headaches. So we had both groups of patients and both people that had previously been diagnosed and not been diagnosed and really kind of understood in a lot of depth what was it like before and after with Neuro. Uh, we also spent a lot of time, you know, we first set that vision around neurology and because it's such a broad domain, because our care model is so specific to the condition that it treats, we needed to prioritize which condition to go after first. It would be unsuccessful if we just tried to go really broad and got, you know, patients of all the different neuro conditions. So 
We picked migraine um, because it's a massive market. 40 million people in the U.S. have migraine. It's relatively safe and effective to treat over telehealth. And it's very amenable to this kind of all-in-one model with the integrated tracker because so much of the diagnoses are based off of self-reported data around headache frequency, headache severity. Um, so yeah, that was really the, the journey for our MVP and that kind of initial user research. Awesome. And when you thought about the clinical components, uh, how did you recruit your first doctor or neurologist and you know, how did you think about scalability? So it sounds like people are on the wait list because there aren't that many available maybe in New York City. So yeah, I'm curious about thinking about which doctor you should pick. Yeah, so we focused our initial doctor search on someone who was very deep in the headache neurology space, someone who came from the academic side and really thought a lot about disruptive care models in the space already. So we partnered with our current medical director, Dr. Tom Burke, who's a assistant professor of headache medicine at NYU. Um, he teaches headache medicine to um, a large group of fellows, and he's really up to date on all the latest uh, medications, devices, and also a big proponent of coaching. Um, what I mean by that is using a lifestyle coach to help patients through ma major lifestyle changes, whether it be in diet or mobility or stress management. And these have been proven to have a massive impact on migraine relief. In terms of scalability, a big part of why we built the platform was to help empower neurologists to be more efficient, to increase their caseloads. And the way that our technology does this is it asynchronizes the first half of a, of a neurology appointment, right? Instead of the redundant kind of review of patient history and the intake, that's all done before the appointment even starts. So the moment the provider comes on to a telehealth visit, they're able to, you know, A, focus on that human relationship they're forming with the patient, and then B, um, come straight forward with an informed decision after having reviewed the chart asynchronously of what is the best, you know, personalized treatment plan for this patient. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of thinking about how do you understand whether people are engaging with your platform and excited about your platform, what are metrics that you focused on for the first 100 patients or 200 patients? Yeah, so very focused on daily actives, weekly actives, monthly actives, retention, and of course, it's converse, which is churn. Um, we did uh, post-appointment ratings, and now we're doing NPS. We didn't do NPS originally because we needed it to be over a longer time frame. So instead, we looked at, you know, app store ratings as well as after an appointment actually happens, how satisfied is that patient with their experience? And then, of course, the qualitative side, um, the user research really helped illuminate more specific questions like, you know, not just like, oh, are people using this product and are people using these visits? But it's like, are people happy with this experience? How are they perceiving it as different than their status quo experience and kind of helping us validate and in some cases, you know, invalidate hypotheses about where we were really making a difference for these patients. Awesome. And uh, what was sort of your thought process on go-to-market as you're building a consumer health product? There are obviously different ways to approach this, this problem in healthcare. I'm curious, like your thought process around that. Yeah. So I think consumer has been a wonderful way to start because of the, the speed. I think that partnering with a hospital, an employer, a payer, those are all paths that so many digital health companies have succeeded in as they scale up. 
But for the initial phase, unless you're building kind of out of an offshoot of a hospital group or an academic group, um, it's so um, efficient to make these relationships direct to consumer online for patients who are, you know, not necessarily constrained by the fact that they're tied to a specific employer. Um, this is really important because patients, you know, can change employers. And so if your virtual program is tied to an employer and that patient leaves, that creates um, that creates the problem for a continuous longitudinal study. So for both the region, reasons of speed, as well as kind of not having those disruptions to the patient journey, um, that was why direct-to-consumer made a ton of sense. I also, you know, would mention the tailwinds, um, again, kind of five, 10 years ago, I think the idea of meeting a new doctor on the internet without ever having met them in a brick and mortar setting, I think it would have been um, just a very kind of novel and potentially less comforting concept. Whereas now it's happening so frequently and patients comfort is, is kind of closer to being there. Um, where if, you know, if they're seeing the logos, if they're seeing that these doctors are indeed board certified neurologists and they're able to see their backgrounds and their credentials, um, there is no problem with, you know, meeting them for the first time on um, a telehealth medium. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of thinking about long-term strategy, are you thinking of being think and consumer for the next five years or where, which sort of avenue are you thinking is the most promising for NeuroHealth? For us, it's payviders, which are self-insured health systems and uh, payers. And the value prop is pretty simple. A lot of health systems have massive wait lists of patients suffering from chronic headache, as well as many of the other neuro conditions. And um, payers also have the, an issue in their networks where there aren't many neurologists that are covered. And so it would help a payer significantly, um, you know, if they had this type of access to provide to their network, it would really help them be competitive when they're selling their health plans and competing with other fellow health plans. Awesome. And uh, if thinking about sort of the clinical model or sort of the model that you picked, what is your perspective? And just also thinking more broadly in the health tech landscape, like what's the right way to build a, a product in healthcare? Some people are not, are not involving clinicians and not involving doctors. And some people are, you know, within the provider workflow. I'm curious if you have a perspective on like what the right model should be in healthcare. I think involving doctors is so important. Um, really involving doctors that are aligned with the company's vision for, for healthcare. I think it's dependent on the specific type of condition and the channel. In our case, uh, the, the care that we're delivering is science-backed. Um, it's not very different from what patients would receive in a brick-and-mortar setting, um, but it is being made more efficient through technology and more accessible through technology. I think working outside of doctors for our use case um, wouldn't make as much sense because so much of the problem in, that we're tackling in our specific space is the, the lack of accessibility to those clinical decisions. The clinical decisions are still being made by a human in our case. Uh, we are not building technology to change the healthcare decisions themselves. Awesome. And uh, kind of thinking about overall challenges that you face in the early days, um, do you have any specific examples? And then also, hopefully, how did you overcome them? Yeah, so um, this touches to one of your earlier questions around channel focus. 
I think that in, we're in an era where there's so many different business models in healthcare. You know, there's B2C, there's um, employer, there's payer, uh, there's um, partnering with small clinics and building SaaS for, for clinics. So I think that one of the biggest challenges was prioritizing and really focusing on the right channel at the right time. I don't think that digital health companies have to only stay in one channel for their whole you know, lifetime. I think it's more about thinking about the different stage, stages, the seed stage, the series A stage, series B stage, understanding you know, the market, the landscape, as well as the skill set of the team. And based on that, figuring out which channel to prioritize for a given, given moment in time. Another channel for us, because we're more product and tech founders, was really kind of bolstering our clinical pillar. I think a lot of digital health companies um, make great decisions when they bring a clinician in as an early founder or early leader. So uh, for us, it was it took a while to find that kind of third clinical leader that was really right for us from a clinical vision perspective, as well as kind of like culture fit. Um, so that was, you know, it just took time to find that person, especially given, you know, we discussed it's a shortage area and the, when you cut the neurologists who are specializing in headache medicine, who are, you know, academic and kind of more forward thinking, that's a pretty small, small group of people. How did you find him? It was, um, you know, LinkedIn <laughs> as an early LinkedIn person. Um, I actually worked on LinkedIn Recruiter, so um, okay. <laughs> I know a lot about. Yeah, I know a lot about kind of like keywords and um, thinking about how to find these these diamonds in the rust. But used LinkedIn Recruiter Light product and spent a lot of time thinking about like how um, this type of person would position themselves on LinkedIn. I do think you know LinkedIn is something that's not as like popular overall for finding doctors. Um, Doximity is one that I have heard other founders find success with as well. Awesome. Yeah. I think uh, you guys really leverage Facebook and LinkedIn, your backgrounds <laughs> in your process. Um, great. I guess my last question around building is, you know, we talk a lot about vendors, you know, picking and picking through the healthcare stack. And I feel like you have a lot of, you could tell like a, write a whole book about it. Um, I'm curious if you have any advice for those who are navigating for the first time, how they should think about building the healthcare stack so that they can focus on other parts of the business. Yeah, this is such a great question because I do think there's a lot of companies that waste cycles trying to build something themselves when it's not their strategic tech. So that's the first question to figure out is like which part of the stack is unique to your company it might even be the case that there is no that's not necessary for the first stage. I've recently met a few fellow founders who are, you know, for example, really interested in building something for obesity. And there have been so many good products out there for EHR health records, for HIPAA compliance CRM, for uh, booking. And they're actually, you know, they would actually be differentiating themselves more on their speed to execution or their care model. And so the first question is like, is tech one of our moats? The second question is, if tech is a moat, then which part of the tech stack um, is our moat versus something that we can purchase? And then when it comes down to, here's all the other components that we need to purchase. Um, we had, and I'm a PM background, so <laughs> this is a very PM answer, but you know, create a spreadsheet of all the features that we're interested in, what are the Need, need to haves, what are the nice to haves. And from there, it was um, heavily looking across 
resources like the Health Tech Nerd Slack. And um, there's so many great, you know, newsletters and Slacks. So then just asking around, you know, what are the vendors that people love the most for health records, for texting. And um, from there, it was, you know, process of understanding the pricing and figuring out which components had the most ROI for us. Great. Um, I guess transitioning to the next topic, fundraising, how did you think about fundraising your first check and how did you convince your investors to invest in you? Yeah, so for us, we decided to fundraise um, on a pitch deck and a business plan that was formulated off of some early market research that had been done. And part of the decision to fundraise at that moment in our trajectory was because realizing the business type that we're in, it's a tech-enabled healthcare service business, high costs to set up. I would say it's not as high cost as like launching brick and mortar clinics, for example, but it is still pretty high upfront costs when you think about all the licensing requirements, um, employing that initial doctor and the marketing costs associated with D2C. So those were some of the needs that we thought about um, early on to help us scale to our first consumer growth milestone. And then for convincing our investors, uh, we we were very open and honest about the market research that we had done, the needs that we had validated, and what were the themes that we saw in all those conversations. And of course, pairing that with the competitive landscape, you know, showing there have been so many interesting virtual clinics built in other condition areas, but nothing has been built for neurology. So really kind of showing our differentiation in that landscape, um, I think, was part of our convincing. Yeah, I remember um, your company name wasn't NeuroHealth before that day. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess what made you change your name? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a funny story. So Gesundheit is like comes from Gesundheit, which we say when we sneeze and it means be well in Yiddish and German and a couple other languages. So it's a general, I thought it was a nice name that had not been used for many sites. And um, I think we at the time when we started didn't, no, we were going to 100% focus on neurology. There were some other conditions we were thinking about like rheumatology as well as obesity. And once we centered on neurology and then it was actually headache within neurology, uh, we would often get asked, you know, what do headaches have to do with sneezing? <laughs> and the answer is like absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so then had a whole week brainstorm around a better name and um, neuro was the, was the winner. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess looking back on your fundraising process, do you have advice on it now thinking back or uh, what would you say about the process if someone was going through it again? Yeah. So the um, the biggest learning for me was the um, amount that we raised was a lot more than what we had originally intended to raise. And that happened kind of organically as we were going through fundraising conversations um, in retrospect, I think that, and we we turned down a lot of additional funds that we were offered toward the end of the fundraise. And part of that was because, you know, we were very early. We didn't want to take on too much money without having built um, the product and really validated it with a higher volume of patients. In retrospect, you know, building a healthcare services business, it has so much um, upfront capital that I do think raising some more amount of cash wouldn't have hurt. And um, so I think that the advice in kind of retrospecting back is to think more about the business model that you're in and kind of what does that mean about how much you should raise. We were thinking more about it more just that, oh, we're early stage and, you know, we want to just raise enough to um, hit a certain growth milestone. 
So I think that um, the, the landscape, the macro landscape of how much money is being pushed into pre-seed and seed is changing so rapidly that um, I think that being really mindful of that, constantly talking to founders, investors about what they're seeing and um, incorporating that into fundraising amount targets is, is really helpful. Yeah, it feels like the last year has been a record <laughs> record pace. <laughs> the, the average seed round has really, really gone up. Right. It used to be like a million dollars. Now we're seeing like, I don't even know what those numbers are, (laughs) but cool. I I guess like kind of going to my last few questions as a healthcare veteran, what are areas in healthcare or women's health or neurology that you think are really interesting, broadly speaking? Yeah. So in women's health, I think that there are still so much opportunity to improve support for pediatrics. Um, being a mother, as I'm seeing in a lot of my friends, is so incredibly challenging and finding support for children's health is a big struggle, both in terms of caretaking as well as doctor services and any kind of support that sits at the intersection of the two. So I think there are some interesting companies being built in the space, but I don't think there's like a, a winner that's really kind of a nationally recognizable brand that has been built there yet. In neurology, you know, we're obviously building in, in the consumer side of the space. I think there's so much tooling that can be improved from the health record to better uh, recruiting for clinical trials. Um, it's incredibly expensive and difficult to recruit for patients in domains like Alzheimer's, dementia, epilepsy. And um, there's so much need for better support in these areas. Um, my own uh, grandmother is struggling with dementia and my mom constantly asked me, you know, is there anything like what you're building that's ready right now for dementia and Alzheimer's? And um, I can't find something that's, you know, exactly meeting the needs. And so I think, yeah, there's so much um, improvement that can be made in terms of access, um, driving disruption through these telehealth models and um, really kind of providing people that support that doesn't exist. I think that those are really interesting areas that we're excited to hopefully fund. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to talk about hiring before we wrap up. You know, what types of roles are you hiring for? If someone's interested in joining NeuroHealth, what should they do? Yeah, so the main one that we're hiring for right now is on the insurance side. So we're hiring for experts in fee for service uh, contracting. And they can just email me at liz at neurohealth.co for um, any interest in that role. Yeah, I guess my last question is any lessons from entrepreneurship that you would like to share with aspiring founders? I know we touch upon it a little bit in the podcast, but maybe last few words. Yeah, I think the main one for me here is to not be driven by fear because, you know, going into entrepreneurship from, you know, stable jobs, it can feel really scary to be frank. And it was scary for me, you know, especially the first few months where We weren't exactly sure what we were building, whether we had a compelling enough idea. And um, there were so many ups and downs early on. But once the um, the vision was set, the product was set, and the team was set, it's been um, really inspiring to see what a difference we can make. So um, if you're someone who's kind of been on and off debating whether or not you should start a company like I was for so many years in my career, I think it's um, at some point you just have to make the plunge and like I said earlier, there's there's never a perfect time. Thank you so much. I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast today and speaking with us. We learned a lot. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for having me.